Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show where we get Phil Hayes' view from the press box. Dan here from the Square Ball along with Michael Normanson as well. Show is powered, powered by West Yorkshire Electrical, isn't it, Michael Normanson? Yep. So is my car. Driven in that today. That's electric, powered by a charge that they put in. Because they specialise in renewables. Wait a minute. Since Correct. when has your car been electric? Uh, my wife got it through work. Oh, last <laughs> and, time, and I'm driving it. Last time I saw you driving, it was a O2 Renault Clio, which I was, <laughs> which I was going to confidently say was not electrically charged. Uh, no, it was an uh, 09 Fiesta more recently, oh, which I do still have. Even better. But, um, so when it came to the installation of the EV charging port, mm. you got solar panels. Yep, yep. they rode in. They bought the house, they were there. Right, what about battery storage? I don't have it yet. They do do it, though. I know where to go if I do want it. Yeah, and how how well do you think they'll put it in? Dead good? Really well. Excellent. Connect it all up proper. They do loads of electrical work. Anything with wires in, they'll work with, basically. LED lighting, security alarms, school contracting, fire alarms. Uh, for home and business, finance available for work on your home and your business. WYElectrical.co.uk for details. Or search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. You gave us a very short verdict. Um, on, uh, on on Tuesday night before we started recording, Phil, but in a more professional way, how do you yes. want to say that? Yes. Can I can I use the malice in Sunderland joke yet again? It wasn't a night for the tourist board, really, was it? Did, didn't you just say, yeah. well, that was wank? Yes. <laughs> I, um, I, slightly more extreme than that as well. It just wasn't good, was it? It was pretty much as you predicted that it might be another bit of a Tuesday night like Stoke and Rotherham albeit against the better team, I think it has to be said. Not a massively impressive team, but I'll be honest, I sat and listened to Farka afterwards and he said, you know, they were part of the boss, they were very defensive, they were this, that and the other. We, they were effective though, weren't they? That was the I, thing, they were I effective. Thought, I thought they deserved to win, I thought they had the better chances. We were sat, the press box is miles from the pitch, you know, it's right at the back of the, the stand, so my thighs are still recovering from the claim. But we were sitting with about 25 minutes to go and saying... I think Sunderland are going to nick this. It just had that that feel about it. It was a really soft goal. But if you go back through the game and look at the chances that there were, the better ones were for them, particularly that Melier save, which was an absolute blinder, um, kept it at nil-nil. But I don't know. I, I, I can totally understand why Farker went with what was essentially unchanged lineup. I know he had to put Spence in at, at left-back because Byron wasn't fit. But the way the form had been going, the way the results were, it, it kind of made sense not to make too many changes. And he might have been stung as well by the 
the alterations at Stoke that, that really didn't work. It was brought up on our um, post-match match ball stream and that was exactly the answer I, or the conclusion I came to anyway was he was probably averse to making changes because of what had happened there yeah. and I think he would have probably been criticised in the run-up to the game had he done so. But as it was, it just didn't seem like there was a lot of spark in the team. Um, I don't know if they were a bit leggy, I don't know if it was football catching up with them slightly but I, I kind of tweeted it midway through the second half saying this is like one of those nights where it just looks like everybody realises that they've actually played quite a lot of football and they can feel it in their legs and the, the imagination and the magic isn't there and I don't think they looked like winning that on Tuesday um, they could have could have had a point out of it but in what was pretty cool wet flat night overall um, I, I thought Sunderland were worth it Can I just ask you then because this is about the view from the press box and, and the sort of sense that you get in the press conferences afterwards as well, because the lateness of the changes was brought up, wasn't it, in the press conference? And what did Daniel Farker say to that? Because if there's one thing I've noticed that seems to be a bit of a trend with him, he won't make a change until at least the 70th minute on basically he, on all occasions. He doesn't rush into them, does he? And and I've written about this, actually. That what happens when Leeds are chasing a game is a, a bit weird and a bit mad. You know, they, they end up with three forwards and three wingers on the pitch, kind of like a front line of, of six, throw the kitchen sink. And I think I've found myself, it worked down at Norwich, you have to say that. At Stoke, they paid for the fact that Bamford missed that penalty. And I think if he scores that penalty, they win the game. And, you know, you come out of a difficult match thinking, happy with that. Rotherham, there was a bit of creativity there. Um, Anthony had that late goal disallowed. They should have had a penalty. Um, the, the disallowed goal was the right decision, but it was extremely marginal, you know. So they, they might have might have got away with with that one. It didn't work at all at Sunderland. I was having a look through and none of the, the substitutes came on at the shot and goal. None of them created any chances. It didn't feel and doesn't feel that strategic, which, which is kind of strange because Farka in a lot of ways is strategic. You know, his plan is very, not rigid, but it's very defined. The way that Leeds play, the way that they set up, what they do, the, the patterns of the, the football. But in those points where they need an equaliser or they need a winner, it's all a bit kind of gung-ho and it's all a bit sort of fire everybody on the pitch and, and hope that, that something pays off. And I think it, to look back at the, the closing stages against Sunderland, they did what they had to do, which was basically pack the middle of the pitch, make sure they had bodies behind the ball and leave leads with a lot of players up front, but nobody really in a position to, to do much apart from that Pirro chance that was was cleared off the line. But that was the only only real threat. Farker was asked about it afterwards. He, he said, when I made the changes, we, we conceded. So, you know, you could say that the, the changes didn't work in that sense. But I don't think that's really the point. I think it probably did need a little bit of a of a freshen up and I think it, it would have helped had that come slightly earlier. <laughs> One thing I've, I have noticed as well with him is that he doesn't rush to change the midfield area, the, the centre of midfield. He'll do it when Leeds need a goal. You know, then you, you switch to a back three. Ampadu gets left to kind of man the fort in loads of... Sp- is, is Michael... Michael, can you back? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> impending death to my to my right at the moment. This is stuff of cigars. Goodness me. But yeah, anyway, back back to the, the midfield. So that's what happens when the the chasing the game is three at the back, usually with Archie Gray on the right and Ampadu, you know, there's all this space, you marshal it. And I think the idea is that the opposition are going to go ultra defensive, so you're not too much at risk of uh, in the gaps that are that are left. But here's the thing. They're doing a lot of things well this season. They've been good this season, Leeds. And I think Tuesday night was an example of how this season could quite easily become very frustrating in that prior to that game, I think it was 28 points from 33, nine wins from 11, which is about as good a form, good a run of form as you could possibly ask for. 
And then they finished that round of games 10 points back from the top two. And it kind of automatically generates, I guess, minute criticism of things that don't go right and things that things that go wrong. But in the grand scheme, they're just suffering from a, a kind of freak, a freak performance of, from the top two at the moment, which is just, to this point, is just not giving way. Yeah, it is a very freakish season, isn't it? I mean, like you look at the the teams that went up last year, I think as Moscow put in his match report that's on the Squareball website, I think the, t- the top two teams lost eight, ten games over the course of the season. We're, we're probably on course for about that-ish yeah. or thereabouts, which would be a fairly typical season. But we've got these two outliers above us that are just skewing everything. But another thing to say from that is that as disappointing as it was midweek with uh, it was Leicester, beat, uh, Leicester beat Millwall, Ipswich beating Watford away with a late one, that it's still, it's not over. There's still a long way no, to go. No, definitely it's, not. It's difficult not to come out of that round of matches and feel quite despondent. There is a long way to go. We've got Ipswich at home in a couple of weeks, which is obviously now looking like a, a must win. And then there's the whole Leicester-Ipswich playing each other twice in, in three or four weeks thing going on in December and January. They can't both win. So there's an opportunity to claw points back on one or both of them. And, and it's, it is going to be a long, a long road to chipping away at that points total. And we managed it a little bit because there was that point when we faced Leicester, I think as you said on one of the shows this week, Michael, when we could have been 17, 18 points. 17 it would have yeah. been, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's not over. It's it's just it, a case of it being a bit of a setback. But what you said about being despondent is the contradiction of it all, isn't it? That you are, that like the, the points tally versus the games played is really good. And Leeds have been impressive for a lot of this season. What Farker has done with them tactically has worked far more often than, than it hasn't. He's built a good team. The signings and the recruitment has been really decent. But on a night like Tuesday you feel this frustration generating about, you know, okay, things that have gone wrong, things that, that haven't worked. But the frustration isn't really with what Leeds are doing badly, if that makes sense, because Leeds aren't doing a lot badly. It's with the fact that this has been pretty good from Leeds. In fact, better than pretty good to this point. And the table somehow looks how it looks. And I'm sure Farker feels like that as well. You know, and I, I do sort of wonder at what stage it becomes a little bit soul-destroying when you're trying to chase that, in that you... You know, as I say, nine, nine wins from 11 and there you are, 10 points back, even though you feel like you've basically been informed since the end of September and have dropped very few points in a division where you are going to lose games. You know, it, it, this is the problem, is that in order for Leeds to kind of stick in here and to, to stay in contention, you're looking for them and asking them to win every match, which is just not feasible, not possible. As we've said before, it's the draws that kill you in this division, isn't it, when you're trying to get promoted? Well, Coventry next are a good example of that. They're drawing a lot of games. So it seems to me that without having followed Mark Robbins' press conferences religiously, he will, if he's not there already, will soon be at the point of saying, if we can convert draws into wins, then Bob's your uncle. And and they you know, they do fall into that that category. Um, Leeds haven't drawn a lot of games. Nobody at the top end has drawn a huge number of games, and particularly not the top two. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And um, we'll come on to Coventry in uh, in a few moments. I just want to ask you, I came up with a bit of a theory and I just wondered if you could kind of explore this one with me that the style of football that Farker is employing and deploying at, at times when you read like the reaction on, on like Twitter forums and stuff like that, there's a bit of kind of chuck the baby out with the bathwater tends to come into play and people are saying the style of football is not intense enough. It's it's not quick enough. You know, there's times when this this knocking it round at the back and just probing for for openings is just ineffective and it doesn't work. I wonder, do you think that that style of football and almost the, the sort of playing in second and third gear for a lot of a lot of the game is it's intended to leave running in the legs for the second half of the season? Because this is a long season, as Farker keeps reminding us. And I do wonder if the the, sl- the slightly lower intensity style of football is in order to preserve these players for the the spring when all this stuff becomes really really pertinent for the for the running and you see things can start to get erratic, can't you, for some teams in the second half of the season. And it feels like he just wants to stay on a on a steady, narrow course almost. Well, one of the things you can say is that to this point, they haven't had many injuries or they haven't had an overwhelming number. They have been without players from time to time, but Farker said it himself. You know, they, they basically came into December with Stuart Dallas as the only absentee. And okay, since then, you've, you've had Byram and, and others, but that's certainly quite unusual at Leeds, going back over several years you know, the, the injuries have been a massive problem for them for quite a while, and and that that has definitely changed. But even if, it, if even if that's in mind for Farker, the, the style is his style. I mean, I would point you to Leicester when it comes to the way teams play and the way in which some teams are patient, the way in which some teams might have you wanting a bit more intensity. Leicester are not all out gung ho team at all. They will have masses and masses of possession. Have a look at the the numbers from their win over Millwall last night, particularly in the early stages of the game where. They had all of the ball, very few chances, but again, just just had that that edge and and that extra percentage that meant that they won that pretty comfortably in the end and and deservedly. Leicester are not going at everybody hammer and tongs. Um, they can be quite conservative. They can be very very patient with the ball at the back. I don't think it, it particularly matters. And I have a feeling that was the were this to be a typical season and the division to look as it normally does, you, you wouldn't be getting much conversation like this because Leeds have not lost many games and have not dropped that many points comparatively. But it feels and it looks a little bit like they have because somehow they are still so far behind. And every time people talk about Ipswich are going to drop off, Ipswich don't. When you look at the disappointing results this year as well, we've not been far away in any of them. Southampton got away from us early on, but every other game, we've been right in it until the end. If you think of the Birmingham defeat, that was obviously a, a very late penalty. Stoke, Sunderland, Rotherham. I know that we could have we could have won that. It feels like we've been very close to to getting points in all of the games that we've we've actually found disappointing. So you can see the merit in the style, I suppose. Even if even if sometimes it hasn't you know resulted in a win. Yeah, we're going to talk about it on um, on this week's weekly show as well about whether maybe we're are we a little bit addicted to thrilling drama and. Uh, steering away from normality, and with, uh, I say that with reference to like the the Bielsa era. I think the um, there's still a little bit, or there was particularly early season before we went on the sort of winning run. 
that sort of clamour for the the all action style because the memory has kind of distilled it into a, a beautiful, wonderful memory now, and you kind of forget the anxious games that we had, or that the the games where we had fifteen chances and all the possession and all the attacking, but still only either one one nil or it got away from us, whatever. Because we did have those games under Bielsa as well, didn't we? But I wonder if it's kind of, if it's kind of influencing the current day mindset of the fans. I don't know. I don't, I'd be surprised if it is. I, I think what's influencing the mindset is that we've gone from the summer where it wasn't quite clear what Leeds would do because the so so little was in order at the end of last season after relegation that you couldn't say with any certainty at that point. I think you knew there was going to have to be a takeover because there was certainly the way I saw it, there was no alternative for Radrazani. But when and how and how quickly was was always the question. You couldn't be certain about who would be head coach. You couldn't be certain about which players were going to stay, who they were going to be able to to recruit. So you didn't really know what was coming this season. And I think it's probably been as good as it could have been, all things considered, to, to this stage anyway. But then you get into the season, you have a, a kind of mixed first month. But then the team start to look really good and so do the results. So you realise that actually, yeah, they, they should be in the mix for the top six, definitely. And then the results start to get better again. And there's that part you're thinking, you know, automatic promotion is is potentially there and, and again is, is possible. And I don't imagine there's a club in the country who are more afraid of the playoffs or have more paranoia about the playoffs than Leeds. You know, so we're sat here with a really good team, really high performing team who are not perfect and do have the flaws and, and imperfections. You know, they're not the, the best of the best, but they, they can be on the day, and certainly in this, this season, in this league, who are going nicely, but are at risk as I, I think we discussed this on Monday that because of the position Leeds are in and because of the lead that the top two have it doesn't really give Leeds any breathing space to have the kind of patch of poor form that is almost unavoidable at some stage of the season if Leeds now were to go through a run of four, five, six games where they don't pick up much and, and they, they, they lose too, too many of them don't gather enough points then they might well be out of the running for the top two, despite the fact that, that they have been this good. And I think that's what's doing it, isn't it? It's the realisation that it is a freak this season and it is unfortunate given how good Leeds have been. And it begs the question, are they actually going up? For all that they've had good results and played well, is this going to end in, in promotion? And I think it's the fear of that not happening that makes people twitchy. I was thinking about this in relation potentially to next season if we, if we do fail in the playoffs. We could potentially have a worse team and play worse next season and still go up because it'll be it looks like it'll probably be a weaker division next season because it's a the very team's good coming point, down. Yeah. So we could we could be that we're actually we're worse on basically every statistic next yeah. year and win the title. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the potential for that to happen is is definitely there. But I think if you're sensible as well, you would know that this can't be a two year project in the sense of the squad exactly as it is now being there again next season. Fark is obviously on a long contract. I think you could definitely go into a, a second season with him, but you would have to sell players for PNS. You'd have to mix things up. It would it would have to change. I mean, we're a long way from that at the moment. Um, that, but that's but, the, that's the dread that looms, though, isn't it, Phil? But, I think so that's, this what, is what that's what's saying, what's in, is yeah. informing the thinking. Yeah, no, it, it is. So I don't feel like it hasn't been entertaining this season. You know, you're talking about the style of football and and what we've been watching. I don't feel as if we've been sitting half asleep. Quite the opposite, really. I think it's been really good to to follow. But it's not quite satisfying enough because of how it's shaping up in the table, would be my observation. With regards to the table, though, I messaged you. Um, uh, yes, we have continued a, a WhatsApp relationship, even though we actually just we knocked the 20 minutes on the head. Now, now you've done well, it Well, yeah, after, after Saturday's yeah. roaring success, we thought, right, call <laughs> um, it a day. Yeah, it's all done now. But um, yeah, I did message you and just say, when you look at the games we've played, though, out of the top seven, obviously we can't play ourselves, but we've played... 
Leicester, Ipswich, Southampton, Sunderland and Hull all away. We'll, we will have played West Brom away by the end of Christmas. So that leaves all home games against those sides in the running. So the, and, ho- the, and the home form is significant is the well, point I'm making. Well, yeah. I was going to say what's significant about that is that if you're therefore saying that the game so far have been easier at home, as in the opposition, which you'd have to say based on the table they, they have been, Leeds have absolutely made the most of them. Seven wins on the bounce. So it's, you know, they, they've kind of put the yards in there, which means that the more critical games, what you might call six pointers further down the line, are going to be there to be had because, you know, they are they are going along nicely at Ellen Road and Coventry kind of falls into that category as well. You know, a game they, a game they have to win, a game I think they'll feel very confident of winning. And I think Farker will just want to see kind of normal service resume on Saturday. But I think it will be interesting this time round. And I did ask him this, he didn't really commit one way or the other, whether he feels like he needs to freshen it up a bit more for this game because I did think I did think it was a bit leggy on Tuesday night it didn't feel as fresh and and as sharp and and if I'm being totally honest I thought the best player on the pitch was probably Jack Clark um, for them I, I would say I thought Sunderland deserved to win Yeah he's, he looks like a good player doesn't he he's maturing to a really good player Yeah he looks like he's trained on and it's funny with Clark because you know Leeds did think that that they got the best end of that deal when they sold him to Spurs. And it's hard to argue with that, actually, because the money came in in the, the summer they got promoted. It was used to to make that happen. So all round, I think everybody was happy. He didn't look like he was well, didn't do much at, at Spurs. So it was just kind of jumping from loan to loan. But if and when Sunderland sell him, I think they'll get far more than the, the 10 million, well, 9.4 million that Leeds did for him when they sold him to Tottenham. He's definitely improved. He's matured. He, he's learned how to drop, how to, you know, how to be very difficult to track. And it was a kind of key battle because with him and Archie Gray because it was kind of Clark's impetus on the left that got Sunderland out of a fairly kind of lacklustre start. You know, they, they weren't great to begin with. But once he got going, it, it definitely woke them up. And you could tell that he had that that he had that edge of pace on, on Gray that was going to cause him cause him a problem, hence the booking early on. Yeah, there's very little uh, in the way of action for our front four. Ruter in particular was quiet, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I say in the in the end, you have basically six attacking players on the pitch and the four that have come off the bench don't have a, a shot and goal between them. So it just didn't work in, in that period. But you do have nights like that. I think you should ask Farker about uh, playing Piro at nine again. Try and upset him. Yeah, why not? Why not? Well, I mean, I, I do think that uh, aside from left back, that's probably the, the one position where you're wondering what what is the solution there if the kind of Piro-Ruta axis is, is not working? Somerville moved central once um, once Farker started making the changes. But Somerville's been kind of running riot from wide positions, hasn't he? And I think yet to show that he can control the game from the middle of the pitch. And, and actually, you feel a little bit like you might waste the, the best of him there. And I guess the, one of the things about the way in which Leeds switched to the back three and, you know, all out, everybody chuck the kitchen sink in the closing stages of, the, of those games when it's like that, is that Farker doesn't, look like he's necessarily got solutions within his four two three one or whatever you want to call it you know how that, that normally what it what it is it doesn't look like within that structure it's able to be one change here one change there to to completely um revolutionize everything or to to pick leads up it feels um, like we can change personnel but not necessarily change shape a lot of the time well he does change shape but i think that is probably the one position or effecti- effectively change shape maybe yeah and but i guess for him, it would be quite nice if you could change it without having to change shape. You know, that your structure continues to work, but you get somebody else on the pitch who makes a difference. I think in certain positions, like for example, you've got non to out wide if it isn't going well for James. You've got Anthony um, if it isn't going well for, for Somerville, vice versa. 
at ten, who is who's the alternative there? You know, who mm. who who makes it happen there if if the Piro Ruter combination isn't working? Yeah, especially as they like to do that little quick interchange of passes on the edge of the D, don't they? Back to goal. Yeah. Lay it off. And if there's somebody not quite capable of unlocking that or maybe, you know, just drifting out of that space if it's getting congested like it was but, against Sunderland. But I do realise that we're picking at bones here, you know, because yeah. the results have been really good. And a lot of the attacking players have scored goals, have had a lot of assists. There isn't that much coming in terms of threat, I think, from from further back. You know, fullbacks and um, midfielders um, in terms of goals from from them but they've, they've been a good team of leads that's that's a fact What have you made of Ampadu in recent weeks because it feels like he has dropped off from his early form Well when I was saying, talking about them freshening up for the weekend I was having a look at the clutch players who've played a lot of minutes under Farker and there is this certain group that have been always there and Ampadu's played every minute you know Ampadu's been right in the thick of this um, has also had a lot of games for, for Wales I think that shows you that he's the midfielder the centre mid that Farker trusts most and I think that also applies when they do switch to three at the back and go looking for an equaliser or a, a, a late winner, that it's Ampadu who's basically asked to cover that massive swathe of space in, in the middle rather than anybody else. You would assume, I mean, some players do play 46 games, some players get right the way through the season. You would assume at some point there might have to be a bit of a, a switch up there. And I think he does have a squad Farker. This is probably the sort of weekend where you have to think about using it. Particularly with one eye on Ipswich the week after, maybe you think... Is this where I give the, the, these lads a chance just to recuperate a little bit and then yeah. be fresh for the weekend? After? But I think probably more about Coventry, actually, because it's off the back of Sunderland where it did look, you know, just a little bit flat and not a lot of um, not a lot of inspiration there. Perhaps it, for this game specifically, you've got a week before Ipswich, so you've got time to recuperate in that. But for this game that they have to win, yeah, I think a bit of tactical switching might be might be for the best. But But in terms of personnel rather than the system itself. Well, two Coventry then, and they drew one all with Southampton on Wednesday night off the back of a little spell of wins, which followed a spell of defeats, which followed a spell of draws. They've kind of gone in three almost um, identifiable stages across the course of the season, and they are they were the 14th in the table. It's, it's the, very mid-table. I was going to say, yeah. I've, I've put on the notes, actually, the very example of, of middle-of-the-road championship mm-hmm. side at the minute. Uh, interesting that Ipswich have got Norwich in the early kickoff on Saturday, so that could potentially... Add a little bit of pressure to things at Ellen Road, depending on what happens there. Could, yeah. I mean, they don't like each other, do they? No. Do they? Do they struggle in the same way we have traditionally it, struggled in Yorkshire derbies the against old, worse teams? Do they teams? call this the old farm derby? No, I think somebody coined that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's good that Ho and indeed Ho. Yeah. So there's that. Um, we've obviously got Coventry. Just looking down the fixtures, as I mentioned in one of the shows before, we've got um, Birmingham Leicester, which is all the way on Monday night. So there's a bit of. Uh, it's going to be a delayed reaction to that one, isn't it? We're not going to sort of know properly until uh, probably after we record again um, exactly what things are shaping up like um, with regards to uh, to the top end of the table. Fascinating weekend. It feels like an opportunity maybe to um, to reset, lay down a marker again and just reassure everybody that we're all right. It's the last normal weekend as well, isn't it, before you get into that yeah. burst of Christmas games where it feels like you don't really sleep and it's just game after game, after meal after meal, after drink after drink. <laughs> I mean, the, the daft thing with the table as well is that because it's the middle of December, there's a lot, you know, you're running through the fixtures there. There's a lot of crossing of fingers to do for many, 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 many weeks, really, isn't there? It's as Farker keeps saying, though, isn't it? You don't really have to look at the table and we'll look, you know, six sort of seven games from the end. We'll look at it then. Do you, re- do you reckon we can go without speaking about the table until yeah. game 40? Should we try? Easy. Yeah, it was easier in the days where you, you could not look 
until six games from the end and go, oh, we're 15th. <laughs> Whereas when you're, up, when you're at the top, you can't help but look at it, can you? Tell you what, think about Coventry, my memories of Coventry. I've got the, the 1987 FA Cup semi-final at Hillsborough. I think that's, that might be the first time I cried at a football match, that. Sad I can day. understand why, yeah. Yeah, that was a sad day. And then we got, uh, obviously beating them in the 1992 uh, run into the title, which was, I think it was after Forrest had just beaten Man United unexpectedly. And I remember sitting in the car park on the, would be the southeast corner, that car park over towards, towards where McDonald's is now and listening to Forrest beating Man United on the radio and then walking over to Ellen Road for, it was, it was a tea time kickoff against Coventry. We were, like in the days before Sky kind of moved everything around for everybody. We were on ITV following their three o'clock kickoff. We were on like the evening kickoff against Coventry and it was so nervous that night, I remember. We won, was it 2-0 we won in the end? I think Chris Fairclough scored there. But, you may um, be right. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice season. See, I remember Darren Huckabee tearing us apart for Coventry and thinking, God, I'd love to sign him. Yeah, and, Peter then, we, and, and then we did. Peter and Love as well. Um, just mm-hmm. speaking of Coventry Pace Merchants, he was always exciting and exotic, wasn't he? He was uh, sort of uh, one of the first African imports into um, into the Premier League. I feel like I haven't written about Coventry much. That We can't have played that much um, over the years. The two things that jump out are, one, the banner asking for Blackwell to be sacked in that 06-07 season after they lost down there. And then the second one, everybody having a go at Redfern after he substituted um, Ross McCormack towards the end of the game when when he was caretaker. But that aside, unless I'm missing something very, very striking, I can't. It doesn't bring out many memories, Coventry, in the way that some clubs. I mean, I, I feel like I've been to Millwall a hundred times, hundred times. Key stories about Millwall till the end of time, but um, not so much Coventry. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, I, I do carry a, a fairly prominent footballing scar from that '87 Cup final. It really, I don't know, just something to do with my age or whatever or being probably, it's probably one of the earliest memories I've got now of a football match mm-hmm. carry that with me for years but we've, they've actually they've actually caused us very little offence across the years since have they Coventry yeah. that's, that's how's the... propaganda going with them at any anything never, never had to look at them before I don't no. think since we've been doing propaganda we've not played them so get some more well maybe this will be the weekend it's a lovely accent anyway so I look forward to hearing that <laughs> <laughs> don't tempt fate now people will be saying don't tempt fate <laughs> But yeah, it'd be interesting to see um, what changes we're making. Is that you want to watch changes? Yeah, it, it's a hard toss-up for Parker because I think we said this feels now like his preferred lineup very much, doesn't it? Like his strongest lineup. But he, you know, like like every coach, understands that it does have to be a certain degree of rotation. So it becomes difficult knowing who to take out, who to put in, how to make sure that you don't, like you said, maybe with the bathwater, that you don't end up doing that. I mean, it may work if he goes unchanged at the weekend, but it would seem a little bit strange on the back of Sunderland not to think that the odd alteration here or there might be might be quite good. Do you give Nonto a game? Um, he has looked brighter, I think. Yeah, the bench. I think he probably has. But in favour of who? <sighs> well, it's a very, very good question. Yeah, James, potentially. Um, mm. I, I, James wasn't great on Tuesday night, but has been really good. I mean, his numbers are, are really impressive. Do you shift Gray into the midfield and give one of those two a break do you play Gruev I mean Gruev's hardly had much in the, the way of minutes and Bundesliga player coming in there are ways in which he can he can mix it up he, you'll just know that if he does it, it looks a little bit unfamiliar um, in comparison to what we're all used to but that is why you have a squad What do you think then what will they do what will he do not just not just chucking ideas around commit to it Mr Hay uh, I wonder if Nonto might start I I think it'll be the same back four don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm not really sure what the alternative there is, unless he unless he has Shackleton back and and wants to 
to mix that up. But I, I can't remember exactly what he said about Shackleton at the start of this week, but it wasn't sounding like he was he was very likely to be involved um, at the, the back end of it. So yeah, possibly none to win. I don't know if I can see him breaking up the Ampadu-Kamara combination, to be quite honest. And do you wonder maybe does he sit on it? I mean, I know I advocated for making changes with one eye on the Ipswich game, but he might look at that and say, well, it's another full week away. Yeah. So do we use the same 11, give them a chance to remedy themselves, you know, our strongest 11? It's tough, isn't it? Put it this way, given the way that the selection's gone recently, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise if there wasn't much in the way of, of changes to the team at all. But it just felt like coming out of Sunderland, like everybody had had a bit of a flat night. And, and if it was a one-off and you can refresh for the weekend great I think if you pick the same team and it looks leggy again on Saturday you'll be wishing that you hadn't alright then we'll get back together on uh, on Monday and have a chat about that um, as we head in towards Christmas show we'll take a break over Christmas we might squeeze one in between the Boxing Day game and the 29th we'll yeah for real but, um, if, that's if we feel a desperate birdie need to get out of the house um, any of us are just going to yeah. sit, sit at home feeding ourselves I'm going to say we're doing one even if we're not just come in <laughs> just, go in, just go and sit in the woods yeah we'll just, <laughs> maybe we could, could come and sit in here we just don't have to record it's warmer exactly. here than it is in the woods but yeah no absolutely um, alright then Phil we'll, um, we'll enjoy the game hopefully on, uh, on Saturday and get back to winning ways and we will see you on the other side The Square Ball Podcast 